This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Pitch. For this week's episode, we're going to finish our chat with screenwriter and playwright Ed Horowitz, who also happens to be an ASCAP songwriter and a pretty darn good guitar player. That's right, Ed is also a musician, and he invited me to come sit in with his band just last night. It was a solid group of great people, and we jammed for a few hours. I had a blast, so thanks again, everyone. For today's episode, we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. Leah is pointing out what she thinks all writers have in common. Ed's going to chime in with his thoughts. Let's jump right in. One of the character traits that all writers have in common, and maybe I'm being idealistic here, but you were telling a story about telling your father that you were going to go to school and you were going to be a writer, you were going to be a playwright, you were going to go into scripts, and his answer to you, you ignored. Because you had this level of personal faith. And I think it's that level of personal faith that buoys you past that midpoint crisis. And I think it's, I think it's inherent almost because we're going to move past it and we're going to drive towards what we think is the end of whatever the story is going to be. So it's this commonality between all of us that we have that despite seeing the blank page and the crisis on the page, we're going to move past it and we're going to fight and we're going to grind. I, I completely agree. There are two, there are two aspects of that. Um, there's a thing called uh, it's neoteny, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to spell it, N-E-O-T-A-N-Y, I think. The, 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 the loose definition is Peter Principle. But what it really is, and every artist I know in every arena has this, it's the ability to have a childlike view of the world and be in awe of the world. And, and as adults, this gets beat out of us by life. So what happens when you try to be a writer when you're an adult? Um, actually, or there's a famous book called How to Play Piano as an Adult because they've done studies that adults have a very hard time learning how to play piano for the same reason. When you were young, you just do it and you think it's fun. Mm. So you do not judge it. So you're like, oh, I'm in the middle. I'm stuck. Oh, this is great. I'll keep going. But when you're an adult, you're like, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm doing. I should really be paying my taxes. I think I have to go do the dishes. I got to pick my kids at school. Somebody's going to call me. Well, how's my mother doing? I haven't called her today. And we get so caught up in judging mm-hmm. what we do. And um, this goes back to the conversation we had before we started this, which was how do you write? And one of the things we were talking about was this need to create not just a space where we write, but the space to write, where the world is is unable to touch you so you can remove your judgment and mm. just live in that moment. And when you're stuck is when the real work starts because you still have to stay in that moment. That's because everyone gets stuck. You get stuck, you get stuck. I get stuck 
all the time. The difference between me and other people is I now know that if I sit there and sit with that discomfort and just allow myself to free think and free write and play guitar and wash my dishes and maybe work out that my subconscious will continue to work until I find that solution. But you've got to allow yourself that opportunity. And you've got to, as a writer, I tell my kids this, you've got to embrace, you've got to get comfortable with discomfort because being a writer is to be discomfort. Mostly. Yeah. Oh, every day. Mostly. Is like, no. yeah. Somebody asked me, what does it mean to be a writer? I said, it means to get up every day and go, how do I have a thought today I've never had before in my life? <laughs> like mental yoga yeah so, so what is so what are the rewards then for you oh well <laughs> well the biggest reward is no joke i've never had a job in my life i've never used an alarm to get up in the morning i've never had to i get up every day wanting to like jump out of bed and like go do it i mean i i, I literally I, I every day i just feel fulfilled i mean it's and it's a lifestyle choice but yeah so that would be one two for me is being a writer enables me to learn. Like you were saying, you did two, like you, Leah, I'm looking at you. You can't see that on the podcast, so I'm looking at you. He's looking um, at Leah. But you did two years of research with the mafia. I mean, same thing. I love to learn. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as get out. So yeah. I will research and, and as a writer, I get to call people and go, hey, you know, you do this. Can you just, I'm writing this thing. Can you just tell me about this? I That's get to fun. talk to people and learn. And I freaking love that. And then for me, the third thing is when it works. And more I've had this experience more with theater, but I've had it a few times with some short films I did. When it connects with an audience. One of the first short films I ever wrote was for a friend of mine who was the director at AFI. And it was kind of a sci-fi thing, but it had this twist right in the middle. And when it happened, I went to the screening and when it happened, the entire audience leaned forward and I was just like, I want to do this. Yeah. You know, oh, just that cool. moment yeah, of like, yeah. oh my God. You know, the other one is... Um, the, when you, when you, if you ever have the good fortune to have a big studio movie premiere and you live in, Cal, in California, in LA, it happens in Westwood nine out of 10 times. It may happen in Hollywood, but my movies premiered in Westwood. Okay. And so I'm going to my first premiere and I drive into Westwood and there's a side way into Westwood and you go over a little hill and you come into the, into the village. And I drove over this hill and there are like a thousand people and lights and press and these giant posters and all because I had some stupid idea. <laughs> and that is just somehow mind blowing and such a thrill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the fourth thing is, and this is just the reality is like, you get paid, you know? But that's the least important. I mean, yeah. I write, you know, uh, years ago somebody said, oh, if you won the lottery, what would you do differently? And I was like, drive faster car, wear nicer shoes. I'd, I'd still look up tomorrow and be like, I got to finish my script because that's what I do. I mean, yeah. somebody said, yeah. you know, people, they must ask you, they say, do you like writing? And I, my response is generally, do you like breathing? Because it's just- It's just the thing you do. Yeah, I'll do it till I die. Yeah. You yeah, until the day I die, I'll be doing it. You know, no one will be reading it or care, but I'll be doing it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just what I do. Yeah, so it's that. It's that sense of, it's literally, it's, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy needs. It's like, it's self-actualization. It's just like, I get to do me. When I'm in a bad mood, like I get kind of pissy, Angel's like, have you written recently? And I go, no, because I'll get sour in my soul if I don't yeah. write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I start to feel like detached from myself if I'm not mm. doing it. And 
you know, writing takes many forms. Sometimes it's actually sitting down and writing. Sometimes it's thinking about mm -hmm. story or marveling at a character or reading something. Yeah, yeah. You know, driving over here, I was listening to The Moth. Do you know that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. Every time I listen to it, every time I'm just reminded of the importance of storytelling and of the human connection and of like people telling stories and why they're so captivating and interesting and necessary. Everything, everything we learn in life and everything we teach others is a story. Everything. You got any good Steven Seagal stories? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get into those. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff on Steven Seagal on the internet. He's, um, after he's we, a colorful figure from what I've been able to ascertain. After we turn this off and you buy me a beer, I'll tell you anything Fair you enough. want to know. Deal. Fair enough. So this has been talked about before and the job of a writer has become more extensive. The things that are our onus to do go beyond a script. So we're writing scripts, we're doing pitch decks, we're doing treatments. Um, do you offer any of those classes? Are they useful things to learn? What's your advice? Do you use any of those tools? And do you use any of them? Well, wow, that's a lot of questions. Those are all great questions. But um, um bump lots. Um, uh, Terry Rossio, who wrote um, Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff, I forget who his partner was. Um, he has a great um, article, a great essay on treatments. And basically... Nobody reads them. They're a waste of time. They're a selling tool. They're just, they're, they're not, you know, you have to, you know, they tell you just write a treatment, just get the ideas down on the page, but you can't, you have to write it so that people get it. So they buy it because otherwise it'll turn them against it. So it ends up being this completely set. It's, it's a, it's a selling tool. It's got nothing to do with what you're going to put in the script or what you're going to use. It's not an outline. It's a complete and utter waste of time. Um, uh, um, I'm blanking his name. The guy who wrote uh, Top Gun, Cash and Epps, Jack Epps. He told me once that uh, they were brought. They were told that um, uh, Bruckheimer and Simpson, because was Simpson was still alive back then. They wanted to meet and they had this idea. They pitched them the idea and they said, "We'll only write it if we don't have to write an outline." Because outlines, you know, there there are tools, writers. So you need to do an outline for you, but you don't want to show it to people because it doesn't make any sense. No. So no, it does not so, make any sense. So yeah. I won't. Do, if I can avoid a treatment, I just I just say no. I just you don't need it. I mean, when um I did on deadly ground, no, when I did exit wounds, they had a start date, they had a script that didn't work, and I got hired to fix it. And I sat down with with Joel. Um, Joel Silver, and he was like, do you want to write an outline? I said, I can. It'll take two weeks. You'll have to read it. The studio reader, it'll take two weeks, and you got a start date in six weeks. I said, I can write the first draft. If the first draft works, you got a movie. If not, you'll know what to do to fix it. He goes, go home. Just start writing. And that was it. I just went and wrote the script. So, so I really try to avoid that. So, okay, so pitch decks. You, you got to sell the thing. That's your <laughs> job. I mean, I don't see that as an onus. I mean, mm -hmm. it's... It's a burden because we never had to do them. But I used to have to drive from Santa Monica to, to Burbank in 100 degree weather and look nice and be bathed. And now instead I have to do a pitch deck. It's about the same amount of work because, you, you know, you have to plan the pitch. <laughs> the difference is just how do you do it? Now, I always will engage my producer. Mm -hmm. So this is the way I do pitches is going back to when I pitched 
mostly character. So what I make my producer do, and if he doesn't do something, like, well, then we're not going to do the pitch because I'm just at the point where I, I just won't do it. And then if you want to do it, you're going to have to put some skin to the game. But I make him find who are the actors that represent these characters. And so rather than just be me talking, as I'm pitching, we will choreograph in the pitch where he's going to put up images of locations or of characters. So we did this pitch, this one about this cop show that I was talking about earlier, where I pitched it from the point of view of the main character. So like he went up, then he stayed up. And as I pitched each person, one so there's a main character and then there was his partner. Then on his other side was his girlfriend. Then the other side of the partner was the antagonist. And the other side of his girlfriend was his mother. And then there were one or two other people. And so when we got done pitching, you were looking at the cast. That's great, yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, and that's on him. On my, It was him because he was a male producer in this case. You know, I, I find that, that visually it keeps people paying attention, right? Mm. So, and then what was the first part of it? There was three things. There was pitch decks, um, just more work. The, the treatment and we did the outline. We did the three. Okay, you know, but but I do think that producers are asking more and more of writers and they're doing it in the form of rewrites and little tweaks and mm-hmm. this can go on and on and on and it's that thing of the producers say, well, we're not it, we need to do is to sell it and your goal is to sell it and you want to do it and you want to be a good trooper and they're not paying you for it. Yeah. And it's that really loose gray area because you know, everybody does stuff for free. I mean, we all do. I mean, you know, like actors you know if you want to go audition you got to put a lot of work in before you show up you're not getting paid for that because you're trying to prove you can have the job so i haven't had because my career has most a lot of times been specking and selling it or selling it in the room and then writing it i've not been asked to do a lot of these you know like i don't do a lot of i'm going to write the trip the script on spec and then i'm going to go through a thousand tweaks that the one horror movie was that but i agree with it in that case every time he said it's not working i was like man, he's right. I got to do it. And so I was compelled to do it. So I haven't personally felt that. And I feel like, you know, as a writer, I want to write the best script I can. And so if the producers know, start to seem, feel like they're going sideways, then I'll stop. You know, um, there's a reason they use oxen to um, hoe fields and not horses. Mm -hmm. Because when oxen get tired, they stop. Horses want to please and they'll work themselves to death. Mm. And you can do it. You can work yourself to death. And I've sort of more of an ox than a horse at this point. You know, and like, and it probably cost me work, but it's probably also saved my sanity. Yeah, and your heart. And my heart, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So earlier, just real quick, um, mm-hmm. you said that storytelling is super important. This is something you talk to your students about. You're like, the world needs storytelling. That what we're doing yeah. is you like have this like as part of your curriculum, right? Um, or is it just always come up because it is the core I of what mean, we're doing? And you know, the thing is, is that. They're there because they want to write something. So it's sort of not talked about a lot because it's it's already a given. It's inherent in them being they're, there. Yeah, they're yeah. there because they want to tell a story. I mean, beginning of the class, I always, just the first general class where I'm kind of rambling in a bazillion different directions, I just talk about how important story is. But but I really believe in it. But, you know, it's like, in like, 
I'm finishing a book on screenwriting and I talk about this. Like, you know, it's a book for everybody because, you know, everybody tells stories. And people say, well, I don't really tell stories. I'm like, ever been stopped for a speeding ticket? You were immediately telling a story. No, officer, I only had one beer. It wasn't that. It was just a dinner party. It's a story. Or, you know, the dog ate my homework. That's a story. You were trying to convey an idea to an audience yeah, yeah. for a reason. You have a very clear want. And you Tell double down. Yeah. You don't want, you know, Angel, you can't run in the street because if you run in the street, you could get hit by a car. That's a story. Yeah, yeah. That's a cautionary yeah. tale. Yeah. I remember you know, when I, I first started riding motorcycles, every single person I ever met and found out I rode a motorcycle told me their story of their uncle who lost a leg. Yeah. Every single one. And I was like, I don't want to hear these stories anymore about people losing legs. Do you still ride? No, no. But I, he will again. I had, I had many accidents and walked away unscathed. Yeah. So I, I rode all through high school, all through college. And when I first came to LA, I rode for about six months and realized I'm going to die in LA if I keep riding because I'm impatient. And I just, uh, yeah. I'm going to do something stupid. So I stopped yeah. riding. Smart man. Yeah. And you know, like, you know, when I'm in another country on vacation, I'll go rent a scooter, or rent a motorcycle. Or sure. Something. Yeah, yeah. But um, about this is a while ago, about 10 years ago, I decided I'm buying another bike. It's time. And there was this awesome Harley for sale out in Riverside. <laughs> so I called the guy uh -huh. and he's like, you're the first guy. I'm like, okay, I'm coming from Santa Monica. It's going to take me like, I got to run an errand. It'll take me two hours. If I give you a thousand bucks, will you hold it for me so I can figure out how to get it? He goes, totally. So I jump in my car, I go, I'm driving to the bank, and my sister calls. I go, how's it going? And she goes, oh, do you remember so-and-so? My husband's best friend was on his bike at a stoplight. A guy got T-boned in a car in the intersection, spun out, and killed him. And I'm like, no. oh, that's terrible. And she, I'm like, yeah. She's like, you know, so just be careful. I'm like, okay. So Unprompted, then, she called you and told you the story? No, she, well, we, we have a conversation. She told me the story, right? You know, but she knew about you going to get the no, motorcycle. No, no. In the conversation, I said, oh, I was just, I was going to go buy a motorcycle. She's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm still buying the motorcycle. So then my errand was, I had to take my guitar into the luthier to fix it. And the guy's got a cast on. I'm like, what happened to you? And he's oh, like, no. I laid down my motorcycle. I'm not going to be playing guitar for three months no and i literally picked up my phone I'm like hey yo man i'm not coming i'm not coming to buy that motorcycle because <laughs> the universe yeah. was telling me a story yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. and i the ending was and you will die <laughs> yes yeah. right but that's the thing you have you know so you have to listen to stories yeah. you gotta listen to them um yeah. so i did this aspen summer words i don't know if either of you are familiar mm -hmm. with it i know i've talked to you, you about, it about it a little, a little bit, bit yeah. um, it's called aspen summer words aspen summer words cool. it's a writer's workshop for short stories poems poet sh short story writers poets and novelists every summer they do it in aspen and you can choose if or you can submit your material and they place you so i did the advanced fiction workshop with benjamin percy who is one of my favorite modern writers um and he said one of the rules that he has as a writer is minimum he will sit down and write two hours a day because it takes so long to get back into the world that you're writing that he has to dedicate at least that amount of time. So other than not setting an alarm clock, what are some rules that you have for writing? Well, I don't know if we, we talked this before. We, I think before we started, we are talking about this. Um, okay, so I, I, I want to say this first. I write, unless I'm forced to teach in the morning, I write Monday through Saturday at least 8.30 to 12.30 to 2. So I write a minimum of four to six hours a mm -hmm. day. And I write in my office. I have, um, so what I tell people is have rituals. Create, find a space. 
where you can be free to write and create the rituals to get your game into in you get your game your head into the game excuse me you know it's like i use you know baseball players they tap their shoes before they go in the batting cage you know ballers you know bounce the ball on the pick on the free throw line before they shoot you gotta and this i got this from stephen king he talks a little bit about it in on writing yes you need to do the things that tell your brain it's time to go into creative mode and I do that every morning. For me, it is morning coffee. That, that's the smell of espresso. Every morning tells my brain, time to get creative. When I have coffee in the afternoon and the evening, it's not the same experience. But in the morning, it makes my brain go time to write. And I go into my office, and I have an office, and my desk faces the wall, not the window. And people say, oh, why don't you look out the window? It's so pretty. I'm like, because I don't want to be distracted. The wall's never moving. It catches my eye and distracts my brain. I don't want to be distracted. That's a Mark Twain thing. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and w- the the deal I make with myself is, no, I live alone. I have an office in my house that I stay in my office. I get out to use the bathroom and to make more coffee. Um, if I have to watch something, I watch it in my living room on TV. But I'm in my office working. I'm not having fun. I'm not meeting people. I'm working. Now, I play guitar. And what I found is when I get stuck, I pick up a guitar because it gives my hands something to do. Mm-hmm. So my conscious brain or the other side of my brain is focused on something else. Like Aaron Sorkin used to drive around and listen to 80s music is what he said. And Joan Didion used to drive a loop from the 101 to the to the 10 to the 405 and go in circles when she was <laughs> wow. stuck you know, in the 70s. And it's like, but you have to find a thing that allows your conscious brain to be busy so your subconscious is free. Um, so I'll, this, so this is what I'll do. Like, I don't have fun. It's my job is to be there and write. Um, I don't set a set number of days for me. I set out to write and I, in my head, I'll be like, oh, I want to get X amount done. But every day I try to get at least 10 good pages. And then at the end of the day, I start by rewriting those 10 pages. Like I'll finish them at night or at the end of the day. And um, then the next morning, the first hour will be rewriting those pages, and then the rest will be writing the next 10 pages. And 10 pages is a lot. I mean, 10 pages takes me, that's an eight-hour day. Yeah. And like when I'm really in the groove, you know, meaning that my outline has been completed and I'm just writing the script, I will write eight to six, eight to eight, easy. I'll write 12 hours a day because it it completely sustains me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are days where I'm writing, I forgot to eat. Mm -hmm. And then there are days where I'm writing and I'm like, what's that smell? I'm like, oh, that's me because I haven't showered in about three days. You know, or I'll walk by a window and go, whoa, that's me because I haven't looked at myself in the mirror for three days because even when I'm in the mirror, I'm so wrapped in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really live in my head. Um, I used to do these short plays once a month for this theater festival and we used to write in a little restaurant and one day the producer says, do you know you're talking to yourself? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you were talking out your entire, like evidently I talked I mumble <laughs> yeah. my dialogue when my characters are talking. I never knew this. And, you know, that's just part of the thing. But, but so that's my rule. My rule is like, so what I tell young writers, because I'm a professional, I do it, I, I make my living this way so I don't have the encumbrance of a day job, is if you, if you have a day job, try to write at least three days a week and at least for one to two hours at a time. And the reason for this is if you write one day a week and you have a bad day, you've had a bad week. Mm -hmm. If you write five days a week and you have two bad days, you still had a pretty good week. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I tell them. And the other thing I tell my students is you got to think about writing like baseball. Um, 
a the greatest hitters in baseball bat about 320. What that means is 70% of the time they are not hitting the ball. But every time they get up to the bat to bat, their goal is to hit it out of the park. And you have to write, you have to know that even though 70% of the time you're going to probably write Drek, your job is to get up and write it for the three out of ten days when you write great stuff. Absolutely. And that's and then and then the other thing is um, we were, Angel, you were talking a little bit about um, you know how do you get past the judgment? Um, I give beginning writers and in season writers um, an exercise, which is when you get stuck. I, I, somebody told it to me. I found it really helped me, so I don't really need it anymore. But when I used to get stuck. I feel blocked, it's because I don't have the solution. And rather than leaning into the discomfort of not knowing and allowing that to exist, I start thinking about how I'm going to fail. Like it used to be my grandmother's voice, literally, (laughs) in my head, yelling at me, you should have been a doctor. What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. You're, you know. So what I do is I tell people, set a timer for a minute and just write whatever you're thinking in your head about whatever, right? If you're writing about your, you know, if you're thinking about your script, write about your script. If you're thinking about your grandmother yelling at you, your mom or your dad, write that. And when you're done, delete it. Don't read it. And you do this every day. This is a great way to start because what it does is it teaches you to A, not judge your work till after you're done. Then you delete it before you can judge it. So it also teaches you how to write while postponing judgment, Ah. which is what you need to do to get past the block. And since I figured that out, I never feel blocked. When I'm stuck, it means I don't know. I don't. Blockage is what happens when I don't know the answer and then I start punishing myself for not having the answer but when you write you don't know we're tr- we're searching for answers and so sometimes we just don't know what they are and we have to allow our brains the time I mean, when we wrote um on deadly ground we were four months into three we were about three months into writing and my my manager jeff said I can sell this movie. This character is perfect. This guy is a perfect movie star. The problem is I don't understand what the bad guys are doing. It took us three months to figure out a plausible reason for that an oil company would allow an oil spill to happen. Three months. And my writing partner, thank God I had a writing partner at that time because he would come over or I would go to his house and we would sit there and I could look at him and he, had, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He had me, which is, you know, I'm a Berkeley guy. It's not the same. And I can't go, wow, this Rhodes Scholar can't figure out this problem. I'm not so dumb. <laughs> but you know, but that's the thing. You have to allow yourself to struggle and be mm-hmm. okay and not let it daunt you. Yeah. If you, you know, until you find it. Because if you throw enough shit at the wall, something will stick. And you, oh. And once you do, it's obvious. Oh yeah. Do you do you figure out your endings before you start? Yes, I uh, yes I well, they may change. But you but you but you have a destination in mind, even if it's going to change before you start. If I don't have a destination, I cannot start. Yeah. A friend of mine once said, "You cannot drive a parked car." Mm. And if your car isn't moving, if you don't have a destination, your car is not moving. You can turn the steering wheel all you want; you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you're going the wrong direction, you can always turn around and go another way. So you, I always, I always, you know, and I, when I when I teach in feature writing or in this, you got to know your main character and you got to know your beginning, middle, and end. You got to know where your character starts. You may not know most of the middle, but you got to know where the character ends. And then the other thing you have to understand if you're going to write a dramatic story, meaning something that's dramatized, again, a script, what is the change that happens at the end? Something has to change. Otherwise, you have not told me a story. You've you've told me about a lot of events, 
but it nothing has been dramatized because in a dramatic story where conflict occurs conflict causes change mm. and and this is my argument for why drama is never going to go away and why ai is never going to replace writers oh, dramatic yeah. writers okay the human condition is change we are all changing literally with every breath and in a great script the change is happening with every word every word a character utters every line every line of action mm-hmm. is change and when you create a story that's that tight and the change is that consistent your audience your reader actually your reader can feel it and they feel like they are watching the world and they identify it because they are living that exact same thing. It doesn't matter who the character is. I mean, the example I use in my class is Moonlight, which is one of my favorite movies. Okay, that's about a young, poor, gay, black kid in Miami, Florida. I am an old, white, straight dude. In I was raised in Northern California in a very upper-middle-class family. What do I have in common with that kid? Nothing except that kid is struggling to find love, which is the human condition, and we all do. So I totally am with that kid every step of the way. And that's it. And that's a great script is a document of change over time. Yes. And that's, if you can find that in every moment in your script, it will be a page turner. And that's what will sell. Okay, so I only have two more questions. Okay. And this one, it's kind of generic, but I think that you can give a pretty good answer to it. What's something that you wish you would have known at the beginning that you know now? Wow. A bunch of things. Yeah. A bunch of things. Um, I think you said it earlier, networking is unbelievably important I did not really understand that I just thought oh I will write and I will be a good writer and I'll be respected by my peers and I will write good stuff and sell it and I don't think the business works that way anymore about 15 years ago Chris McQuarrie actually wrote an article saying I could not sell a spec script if I wrote it today and it's true the business has changed it's not about the story anymore it's about the auspices the characters the IP the concepts it's not the writing so it's this has become a business of who knows you and so networking is unbelievably important that's what i tell my kids i did not know that um the other thing that um i wish i had known when i started was that it will be okay because i i came to writing with a lot of fear and anxiety and judgment i think a lot of people do and we've talked about this in different ways throughout the day that it's people who can get over their fear get past the judgment who can who have the drive to do it no matter how many times they get knocked down they're the ones that succeed and i guess i had that because i'm still here but i wasn't conscious of it and there were many years with a lot of anxiety and stress that um that if I'd known better or I'd known more, I wouldn't have sweat. And the third thing is what I didn't know that I do know now is that a successful writer is one who writes well and is in control of their craft, not one who gets rich. If you think getting rich is going to make you a good writer or make you happy, you're not ever going to be a happy camper because the ability to write well and put on the page what you envision and have it affect somebody is a really powerful and rewarding thing. Yes, the money is nice and it really helps, but it's not really rewarding. If you're just doing it for the money, 
you're going to end up burned out and it's going to feel callow and hollow and you're not going to be fulfilled. And the whole point of doing this is to find some kind of joy or you're not really communicating with people. Yeah. I think I'm going to add one, which is time. I think a lot of new writers come in thinking it's going to happen like that because yes. their version of what life is is shorter. Yes. I'm assuming that they're younger, right? And so they think there is only a certain amount of time before I'm going to make it, but you got to put in like seven, 10 years before you have like the success that you think that you're going to have. An executive said to me early on, screenwriting is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And at the time I did not understand it. And you are absolutely right. It is a marathon. It is a step by step. It's a long road. And um, the other thing I learned in graduate school, but I didn't really understand until later. And this goes back to a little bit what you and I, what we were talking about a minute ago is that, the power of no. Yes. You know, as writers, we want to please and we want to get paid mm -hmm. and we get strung along. And sometimes the fastest way to get paid or to actually accomplish something is to put your foot down and put your career on the line and just say no. Yeah. I learned that the hard way. I, I had an experience where I learned that and, it, and I got what I wanted, but I didn't really understand that as to as now. Um, when people ask me to do stuff, I say no if I don't want to do it. Now, I've lost some work that way. But on the other hand, I've also kept my sanity. I think that's what you said when I said it before. Uh, years ago, long story short, I came with an idea after having a conversation with the director. And we had the same agent. And the director, I, I called my agent. And he's like, we can sell that idea. Yeah, Dave can direct it. We'll do it together. It'll be great. And this director... Because we worked out in the meeting, he wanted to get created by credit with me. And I was like, no, no, you're attached as the director. You get your residual for that. I'm the creator. I get my residual for that. And it became this big fight between mm -hmm. us and with my agent. My agent called me and said, look, do you want to do it or not? And I thought long and hard. And I thought, if I sell this show and I have to give him half of that money every week, I will kill myself. And I said, I'm not going to sell it. Let's just move on. Yeah. And I don't regret it to this day. How did they receive that? Was it, was it, did it cause problems or is that relationship burned? No. Uh, well, no, no. You know, the, the agent was just annoyed that the director and I were fighting, but that was sort of the dynamic that existed in that universe. Um, mm. And the director and I went on and did other stuff. We just let oh, that okay. one go. Um, another time, um, I was approached by a guy who I was good friends with, who at the time was managing Steven Seagal. And he was like, look, if you let me manage you, you can write his next movie and then you can write and direct his movie after that. And I wanted to direct and that was a big paycheck, you know, and I was like, you know, I worked too hard to get out of that ghetto and I don't want to go back. And like, as much as I need the money, it's not where I want. And so I said, no, and I don't regret that either. I mean, I'd have a bigger house and I'd probably drive a faster car, but I probably would have an ulcer and maybe a heart attack or two. So, you know, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with mental health. Be an ox, not a horse. Be an ox, not a horse. Be an ox, not a horse. I, I may have to get that tattooed. Be you an might, ox, not a horse. like, create shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Be an ox, not or, a horse. Or it could be the title of your next book, which is coming out, or you're working on it right now. Um, it's not coming out because I haven't showed it to anybody in terms of publishers. Yeah, it's it's a book on screenwriting. Um, be an I may have to change the title. I really like that. It's good. Uh, but it's it's basically how to write a great script. And it's um it's everything we've talked about. And it's it's just derived from all my years of teaching and um and it's 
just kind of walks through all the fundamentals, starting with beginning, middle, and ends, and character, and mm-hmm. thesis, and mm-hmm. concept, mm-hmm. through the steps you need to do to write a good first draft. And when I say a good first draft, having all the essential elements of a story. There's a thing that I created called the nine C's, which is nothing new. It's just my way of labeling it that I'm not going to explain here because you have to buy the book at some point. But it sort of lays out, it's a sort of a distillation of everything everyone else from Joseph Campbell to Plato to every other screenwriting book has tried to distill just the way I, I just put it together in a way that I thought was easy to remember because I would grow my students on it. But it's sort of, if you can come up with, if you can, answer these nine questions or provide these nine elements you've got your beginning your middle and end and it gives you the structure i work in a four act structure rather mm-hmm. than three because i find that people talk about act two in a traditional structure as being twice as long and i'm like if you just break it into four acts you got four equal chunks and each one of those has a midpoint and now you all you have to really figure out how does i get from page one to page 15 Mm-hmm. And then from 15 to 30, instead yeah. of how do I get from the beginning, you know, page 30 to page 90. Yeah. So I use that. I think that's a way of breaking it down. And we were talking about music um, on a break. And, you know, music is mathematical. It's all numbers. It's not how you create it, but how it relates to each other. And storytelling is fundamentally numbers at the end of the day how things fit together and where things pace out in a story so it's it's all about that and then there's stuff on how to deal with notes and how to do rewrites and all of that and i'm trying to make it somewhat breezy and um i don't think i swear in it but it's pretty much the same tone as this podcast i try it's not fancy it's not um highfalutin sure i use a few big words here and there but really it's trying to like talk to like Talk to people on just like we're having a conversation. Tell you what you need to do to write, kind of like this podcast. Yeah. And what's the what's your expected timeline for that coming out? Twenty twenty four or even further further out? God, you know, I do, well, well. Now that I have to rewrite the intro because I'm changing the title. <laughs> um, Thank you for I, that. I, I got a couple of notes last week, um, just on on like kind of how to put it together. So I have to just mess with the format a little bit, but it's not content, so it'll be easy. Mm-hmm. And then I got to show it to people. I don't know how. Those publishing takes a long time. I may end up self-publishing it just because it'll be faster and easier. Yeah. So yeah, probably be 2024. Maybe, okay. you know, in a perfect world, it'd be great if I got it out yeah. in time for, you know, Christmas. But, you know, and, and, and it's, it's geared towards everybody. I mean, the thing about all serious, we were talking about musicians earlier, but all serious artists of any kind is all serious artists know that there's plenty more to learn and want to learn more and want to get better. So this is a book for everybody, whether you're starting out or whether you've written a million scripts and um, and you just need somebody to give you a different take on how to look at it. You know, I've read, a, I've got, I can give you, I'll tell you, like um, on writing by Stephen King, it's not about screenwriting, but it's the best book on writing I've ever read. Yeah, it's really good. Linda Seeger's book, How to Make a Good Script, great. I've read that book about 14 times. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, it just breaks down story structure and how it works, and it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. And there's a book called The Art of Dramatic Writing by Laos Egri, E-G-R-I, that is written in the early 60s. It's about theater. And all the examples are just the dullest place you've ever read in your life. So I tell my students, read the text, forget the example. Yeah. <laughs> it's some of the greatest texts on how to construct dramatic writing. Yeah. And I, I recommend that. And then the last book I recommend, which is in the greater world, it's a little bit controversial, but I think for screenwriting, it's really great, is Elements of Style by E.B. White and William Strunk, the fourth edition. Because mm. just the way that that sort of, his emphasis is on clarity and specificity. And I just think that's so important for screenwriting. And so those are sort of like the four books I go back to. And so 
I'm not going to get there, but I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. Can I throw one at you? Yeah, please. So Benjamin Percy, whose yeah. Summer Aspirin Words workshop I took, has a book called Thrill Me. I don't know it. Okay, I will check it out. It's great. Um, there's one more book I read, I want, and I'm not going to get the name right. I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's a fascinating book. It talks about how the human brain works and how it relates to story and how the human brain biologically through evolution is designed to find structure and patterns in things and how you mm. can use that in storytelling to create uh. narrative structure and then upend it and change it. And how, and one of the things it talks about is that people need three specific pieces of information to envision something. So when you're writing your characters, you need to give your reader three specific, if you give less than three, they can't conjure the image in their head. If you give more than three, they get confused. When you describe a location, it's really, it's a great read and it's really fascinating. I think what we do is you're on social media. Barely. We need to tweet out the title of that book. Yeah, we can we, tweet it. We can, we can figure it out and tweet it. We can it. figure it out. And we'll I, think, I think what we need to do is I'll go home and text it to you and you can tweet it out. Deal. Fair enough. Okay, done. That's a deal. Uh, those are all of my questions. Cool. Well, this has been fantastic. Did you have anything else mm -hmm. you wanted to cover that we didn't ask about or that you were expected to go deep into? We'll do another podcast with you. You know how versed in our podcast you are. So what, what are we missing? <laughs> <laughs> um, what he means by that is I have only listened to a few. Um, no, is there? I, I didn't come with any expectations. I, I, as I said to you before we started, I, I really think you what you guys are doing is really interesting and great. And I was just happy to, you know, be along for the ride so thanks for having me and it was really I was really pleasurable and really fun and interesting and some great questions um I guess the only thing I would just if I had anything left to say is somebody once said to me when I was trying to decide what to do with my life they said I will tell you what Ray Bradbury said to me Ray Bradbury the great fiction writer of science fiction um everyone flies through the sky talking about writing until they fall to the ground and writers write. And that's really it. Writers write. You want to be a writer? Books are great. These podcasts are great. Mm -hmm. But all you have to do is put your butt in a chair and do it. And if you don't, you have no one to blame but you. Unless you're Dalton Trumbo, in which case you're going to sit in a bathtub. This is true too. <laughs> or you're someone else we know who sits in the backseat of her car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Names will not be mentioned, but what a fantastic chat, man. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks, Ed. Thanks. You've answered great. so many of my personal questions. Mm -hmm. And you've, not, not just questions I didn't know, but like you've verified things that I've been looking for verification on. Well, um, Angel, if you have any really more questions, helpful. just write them on a $20 bill and send them to me. I'll be I happy will, to answer I will, them. I will FedEx those over. Weekly. Done deal, brother. <laughs> Well, um, thanks again, Ed. This has been great. Um, and I guess for myself, cheers from Hollywood. Cheers from Hollywood. I'd like to say a huge thanks to Ed Horowitz again. And thank you for listening. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time. <laughs>